All right, just a couple announcements. We've got the Storm Bratchett Memorial Blood Drive coming up at Christ Community this Thursday and Friday. If you, there's information right over there um, at the info table. You guys can look at that. I believe they would like you to call and schedule an appointment if you can. I know that it's a huge blood drive, um, probably one of the biggest in our community throughout the year. So if you guys want to get involved in that or if you want to donate, you guys should call ahead. Uh, that information, again, will be over at the info table. Um, if you could, please be praying for the East End Ministry, me and a couple guys over there, uh, just trying to spread the gospel to people um, who need it the most. Uh, guys, uh, also, I want you guys to be praying for our building. We keep looking. We're not finding a new place. So uh, we really need uh, God to do something because it's clearly not working with just us. Uh, also, we want you guys to be thinking about and praying about the upcoming free market. Uh, we do not have a set date yet. We're actually still looking for somebody to, to take that and own that. So if any of you uh, feel the, the, um, the desire and, and the calling to, to just take that and own it and, and, and get that going, we would really like you to come forward and you know, talk to Matt, talk to Dave or one of us, and we'll get that, we'll get that started believe that's it. We have, oh, we have the new Revolution t-shirts. You'll see Ryan in one tonight. Um, free to college students, 10 bucks for everybody else. So if you guys want one of those after the service, you guys can come right over here and get one of those. Uh, I believe that's it, right? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to come together and worship and learn about you, Lord. I pray for Pastor Matt as he comes up and, and brings your message that you would just be moving through him. God, I pray that you would, you would grant your spirit on us to, to just open up our hearts and, and, and prepare us for uh, what you have to say through your word. Lord, I pray for worship tonight that we can all grow closer together and closer to you through that. In Jesus' name, amen. What's up, Revolution? I know it's spring break and there are a few of us, but let's try that again because that was really lame. How are you doing, Revolution? There you go. Awesome. All right. We are in the Gospel of Mark. I believe we're on page 605 in the blue Bibles. If you want to go there, if you have your own Bible, we're going to uh, Mark 9 and verse 1. Um, if you uh, do not own a Bible or if the Bible that you own you just, it just doesn't resonate with you, it doesn't read well, then, and you like this blue Bible, take it home with you. It is our gift to you. So let's look at there. We're going to jump in right where we left off. Last week we left off with Peter um, making his pronouncement that Jesus is the Christ, and, 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 but then at the same time saying, yes, Jesus is the Christ, but you will not go and, and, and die. And now we follow right on this. And this is Jesus actually talking in, in verse 1 from that prior episode, but I wanted to include it for tonight for a reason we'll talk about here in a second. Jesus went on to say, 9-1, I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God arrive in great power. And indeed, they're about, some of them are about to see that. Verse 2, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and led them up a high mountain to be alone. 
As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white, far whiter than any earthly bleach could ever make them. And then Elijah and Moses appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, why is this happening? And we'll talk about why Jesus is transformed you know, here in a minute. But why Elijah and Moses? Why, why pick these two? You know, for, I think for a couple reasons. Elijah and Moses both are, are deliverer of God's people, right? Moses delivers them from slavery. Elijah delivers Israel, the people of God, from worshiping false gods, right? That's what they, something they both have in common. But also, and this is what God does. This is just how God works. What had happened was there, there came to be kind of a belief that when the Messiah came, that, that Moses and Elijah would be associated with them. Their, their names just began to be associated in popular preaching and all that other kind of stuff and in rabbinical writings. And so I believe one of the reasons that Jesus or, you know, caused these two to be with him in front of his disciples, and in front of three that will really be leaders of his disciples, is because to show them that he is the Messiah. And this is based not so much on Scripture as it is just popular preaching. That doesn't mean the popular preaching trumps Scripture. It just means that God often does this. He often meets us where we are. Right? Verse 5. Peter exclaimed, Rabbi, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He said this because he didn't really know what else to say, for they were all terrified. Have you ever been in a situation where, for whatever reason, you were scared, you were nervous, and you just started babbling? Right? You just started babbling. Now, this will make me sound old and nerdy. But, in all fairness, I am old and nerdy. Um, I remember when I lived in Hollywood, uh, one day I went with my brother to see a buddy of his that worked at Geffen Records. This was around 1990, so I was about 17, 18. And I'm walking through, and at that time, in 1990, this will tell you how much time has passed, the edgiest rock band in the world was Guns N' Roses. That's right. So, and I loved Guns N' Roses. I thought Appetite for Destruction was the greatest rock and roll album ever because... It's the greatest rock and roll album ever. And I was walking through Geffen Records, and there was Axl Rose. And he was not that close to me. I mean, we just kind of passed. But I just started babbling like a complete idiot. Because it's Axl Rose. Now, I was a little freaked out that when he passed me, he came up to hear on me. Because on MTV, he looked like he was eight feet tall. Not five foot eight. Right? And, you know, he, he passed me, but I, I just started babbling because it was like, this, this is a guy that, like, for the last three years, I thought was the biggest rock star in the world, and there he is. And I got nervous. And when I got nervous, I just, <laughs> just like verbal diarrhea, you know? And, th- and that's what's going on here. So Peter is terrified. He, he's seeing this, and he doesn't know what to say. And so he just starts talking, right? Because that's Peter. That's our boy Peter. He, he's just, he just starts talking. He just doesn't know what else to say. This is the way people typically react, by the way. When God shows up, and God shows up in such a powerful way that there's no doubt that this is God, and that He is pure, and that He is holy. 
Right? This is like, you know, on Mount Sinai, if you remember your Old Testament, you go back there and God's you know, presence descends on Mount Sinai and it literally shakes the mountain and there's, there's lightning and it's just like Raiders of the Lost Ark type stuff, right? And it's just shake. And, and the people literally say to Moses, you go talk to him and keep him away from us, right? Because they're, they're terrified. They're absolutely terrified of getting too close. This is what God says again and again in the Old Testament. You cannot see me as I am. If you saw me as I was, you would die. Because God in His purest essence, in His his most pure presence, is just absolutely terrifying. Because it's so pure and it's so powerful that we cannot take it. Verse 7. Then a cloud overshadowed them. Going back to Exodus again, right? The presence of God. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. And suddenly when they looked around, Moses and Elijah were gone. And they saw only Jesus with them. Now you can read a lot into that about how Jesus has replaced everything that came before him. Verse 9. As they went back down the mountain, he told them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept it to themselves, but they often asked each other what they meant by rising from the dead. This is hysterical in one sense. Right? Jesus has been transformed to how he looks as the, as the king of the universe. Absolutely white and pure. Elijah and Moses are coming to see him. And this is pointing to the fact that he's the Messiah. Then a cloud from heaven comes by and a voice from heaven says, this is my son, listen to him. And he says, don't tell anybody this until I rise from the dead. And they go, what does he mean rise from the dead? God says, listen to them and he's not, they're not listening to him. Right? They're still debating that what he's saying cannot be what he's really saying. Because they have all these preconceived notions about what a Messiah should be, about what God should be. Now, before we jump on the disciples and say what idiots they are, do we have preconceived notions of what we think God should be? Do you think any of us get it right 100%? I doubt it. Verse 11. Then they asked him, Why do the teachers of religious law insist that Elijah must return before the Messiah comes? Jesus responded, Elijah is indeed coming first to get everything ready. Yet why do the scriptures say that the Son of Man must suffer greatly and be treated with utter contempt? But I tell you, Elijah has already come. In other words, the person who comes to prepare people for the Messiah. And that was who? John the Baptist has already come. And they chose to abuse him. You remember what happens? Right? He gets arrested. They take a little off the top. Right? And they chose to abuse him just as the the scriptures predicted. All right. We're going to stop there. We'll pick up there next week. But here's the thing that we want to talk about. Jesus comes. And when the disciples first meet him, They meet somebody that everybody is talking about, but he looks normal. In fact, the prophet Isaiah says that the Messiah would look normal. He looks bland. And he's from a hick town, right? Nazareth is about as absolutely the middle of nowhere as you can get, right? Think southern West Virginia and take a left down a gravel road, and that's where Nazareth is, right? Nazareth is is in the middle of nowhere. 
And the first time Peter hears about Jesus, he's like, he's from Nazareth? He's like, nothing good comes from Nazareth, right? That's like somebody telling you, a, you know, Nobel Prize winning physicist came from Otway. And you're like, no, I don't think so. I've been to Otway. And so they, they meet him as a human being, first of all. And, 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 and they're intrigued by him. But they're not really sure he's the Messiah. They really think there's something really awesome going on with him, but they're not sure as to what, right? Because he looks like a human being. He does all these amazing things. He throws out demons. He, he makes blind people see. He, he heals crippled people when no one else in the world can do this. There's no Cleveland Clinic or Mayo Clinic to go to in Jerusalem in the first century. If you're crippled, you're crippled for life. And then he comes around and just touches people and boom, they're up walking. So they know something amazing is going on with this guy. But he looks normal and he's from Nazareth. And they know his mom and they know his brothers. And then a couple of them go up on a mountain. And they see him transformed absolutely white. And they see Moses and Elijah come to confer with him. And they hear a voice from heaven. And they're still going, and what does he mean when he says that? And they're terrified when they see this. But it seems like they're more terrified by Moses and Elijah and more geeked out about that than they are about Jesus. Which is weird. Because he's the one that's going all white. And he's the one where God from, you know, heaven is saying, this is my son. But... They met him as a human being from Nazareth. They know his mother. They know his brothers. They've been out and about with him. Jesus was, the Bible teaches, fully human. They're out in the desert with him, which means they've seen Jesus burp. They've seen Jesus spit. They've seen Jesus sweat. So the last thing you think is this is God. You think, this is a great teacher. This is somebody that's close to God, but this is not God. Now, why does he do that? Why does God choose to send Jesus that way? Why not? I often wondered this. When I was a kid, and I first started really struggling with my faith before I, before I finally declared myself an atheist, I was just like, look, why doesn't God just appear in the sky one day where everybody can see him and say, hey, I'm God, the Bible's true, obey. Do what I tell you to do. Quit hurting each other. Just stop what you're doing. Listen to me. And then maybe even just to make sure, put like a couple of big eyes up in the sky, kind of like Lord of the Rings thing, right? It's a big fire eye up in the sky. You wake up every morning, there's God's eye. You're going to behave. I mean, there's God's eye. You're not going to war. You're not going to kill anybody. You're not going to do anything immoral. There's God's eye right there in the sky. You're just going to behave. And nobody's going to not believe in God. Have you not seen the eye? The eye's right there. And if you get confused, you look up at the eye and say, we don't know how to do this. And the eye says, you do this. Okay, the eye says, we do this. And you go do it. 
Why not? Simpler. Everyone believes. Why not? Well, let's say there was the I. Why are you obeying? Are you not obeying because you're terrified of the eye? It's a giant eye, folks. It's right there. It speaks to you. You look up and say, I don't know how to do this. It says, do that, and it always works. You don't argue with the eye. You do what the eye says. But you do what the eye says because you're afraid of the eye. And because you know the eye knows everything, and you don't. Done deal. Easy religion. Right? Sure. The only problem with that is you don't love the eye. You're just afraid of the eye. You're not in a relationship with the eye. You're just terrified of the eye. You don't have faith in the eye. You just know because he's always right, you do what he says. That's not faith, that's agreement. And that changes everything. How many of you remember, not the horrible remake with Matthew Broderick and Nicole Kidman, but the original Stepford Wives? Anybody seen the original Stepford Wives? I'm not that old, am I? Seriously? Honestly? Anybody says yes, I'm literally calling down like God to smite you. <laughs> the Stepford Wives is a movie in which a bunch of guys get together in like a gated community, and this is like the height of feminism, and so they decide that because women have become so independent, the divorce rate is so high, they don't want to be with the kids, they want to, what they will do is they will kill their wives and create robot clones of them. And the robot clones will just do whatever they are told to do. Now I'm looking around for what men are smiling at this point. <laughs> and thinking about which one of you tithes and which one of you don't. I'm just kidding, kind of. So... What they end up at the end, though, is, is realize that there's, there's no real relationship here. It's, it's an empty existence, right? It's an empty existence. There's no trust. There's, there's no growth of knowledge, which is, which is important to a relationship. There's, no, there, there's nothing there like that. There's no faith. There's no loyalty. It's just there. You take it for granted the same way you take gravity for granted. Right? You don't sit there and think that when you step, there better be something there. I better not just, like, take off into space. You just take it for granted, and you walk, and you go. And if God were the all-knowing giant eye, it would be the same way. Even if he just showed up once in your life as the all-knowing eye, you would still basically be Doing, following the rules of the Bible because you were terrified of the eye. The eye might show back up and it might be angry. Do not anger the eye. Right? Now, after a while, what happens with that? 
See, when I grew up, I had a twisted view of Scripture and the gospel and the relationship with God. And somehow I came to the conclusion that God just wanted me to behave. And because I couldn't behave, he was always angry with me. I was not keeping the rules. And so he was disgusted with me. He was angry with me. And just one more, I, I always felt that it was just one more thing, and then he was going to zap me. Right? Now, what ends up happening in that kind of view of God is eventually you get to, into an adversarial relationship. Right? You begin to hate this God. You begin to resent this God. I did. And so when I checked out, when I was 14, 15, I said, I'm an atheist, I'm out of here, I'm done. It was a relief. There was a relief there. I don't have to keep these rules anymore. I don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to be afraid that somebody's going to zap me out of the sky. I do not have to worry about this anymore. And it was like, huh. And the problem was, I didn't know God through Jesus Christ. There's a reason why God comes as, as a peasant, blue-collar guy from the middle of nowhere who seems so innocuous that we can just come to. In fact, everyone wants to come to him. Right? The prostitutes want to come to him. The, the traitors want to come to him. They all want to come to him. They want to be around him. The kids, everyone, they, they just want to be around him. They want to get to know him. Even though that's only part of who he is. Part of who he is is that pure white, absolute power on the mountain. And part of who he is is this man walking around, sweating, spitting, eating. And he's not one or the other. He's both. But if you come to him as the guy in white with absolute power, it's like coming to the all-knowing eye. And you'll just be terrified. But if you come to him as, as the peasant from Nazareth who later reveals himself after you've already fallen in love with him as the one true God, then you'll be in awe but not in fear. And that's a huge difference. That's a huge, huge difference. When I became a Christian, when I was diagnosed with cancer and that drove me to my knees, the God who came to me was a God with scars on his wrist and his feet who had been tortured, tempted, spat upon, and abandoned. And that's the one who came to me and said, I died for you. And it was after I started to grow into that, after I fell in love with that Jesus who died on the cross for me. And even when he rose from death, still had the scars, 
still in human form. You could still touch. He still ate. It was only later that I got to know he's also the one who rules over the entire universe, who in his real form, when all that is stripped away, is an absolute white and has absolute power. And then I was in awe, not terror. And that's the only healthy way to be in a relationship with God. Not in terror, but in love and then in awe. And that's why he does it. That's why he does it. He could get it the other way and get, get obedience and everything else, but then he doesn't have our love. And he wants that. He doesn't need it, but he wants it. What you need to ask yourself tonight is, do you love God or do you fear God? Fear God in the worst sense. Because if you just fear God, the God who sets the rules, the God who's just waiting to get you, it'll fall apart. The faith you claim to have will crumble right underneath your feet. And one day, there'll be nothing there. Nothing but resentment. Because you couldn't keep the rules. Because you're tired of being scared. But if you fall in love with the one who went to the cross for you as a human being, who died for you, and rose three days later, still in that body, still with those scars. You start there. And then as you grow in that relationship, then you'll be prepared when he comes again. Because the Bible says he will come again. And when he comes again, he will not come as a baby. He will not come as a peasant. He will come in that white. He will come as a king, ready to rule. And the Bible says that at that day, every knee will bow. Every knee in the world, every person who has ever lived will bow their knee before Jesus Christ. Many, because they are terrified of the image before them. Us, because we're in awe of the king we love. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you love us enough that you didn't come in a way just to frighten us, just to scare us into obeying, but you came in such an ordinary way because you meet us where we are. And you come to us as, as, as this man Jesus who we fall in love with because you loved us and because you died for us. You lived a perfect life for us. You overcame every temptation for us. And then once we fall in love with you, then, then we can come, to, come in true awe of you as you really are, which is the king of the universe, coming in to reign and to rule over your creation. And may we worship you as both right now. In Jesus' name, amen.